As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's a new day! Yes, it is! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Wild and Crazy The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Hogan for the win. We're going to consistently put players in position to succeed. The most important piece is we're going to take the North and never give it back. From CHGO, it's Adam Hope. I don't think that this is a, a full rebuild, but you definitely have to retool your roster. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. Hey, what's up, Flues? And we're going to have measurable ways for standards of performance every single rep, every single game. Anyway, uh, who cares? Now, here they are, the Adams. Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns. Just the Johns part of the show. Um, Adam Hogue is just getting back to California. Sorry, Hawaii. Even better. Adam Hogue's coming back from Hawaii. We will be back together in Indianapolis where Kevin Fishbane will join us as well. But um, this Hogan Johns episode, I want to call it a special one, right? It's a special edition college quarterback edition of Hogan Johns. Um, I am your host, Adam Johns. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Johns. You can read my stuff, Kevin Fishbane stuff on theathletic.com. I believe the beat writer mock draft is up there where I played the role of Ryan Poles and I drafted a quarterback and made a trade and picked a pass rusher, and made another trade. So be sure to check that out on theathletic.com. You can read Adam Hoke's stuff on allchgo.com. Uh, you know where to find us on Twitter. You know where to find us online. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you can. Tell your friends. Um, so this show is a special one. We are going to go through the quarterbacks after Caleb Williams, and we have three guests uh, to interview, basically. So this is how it's going to work. This episode was recorded over three days. So you'll see me change outfits a bit. You'll see me deal with a cough that I've been dealing with all week, um, some nagging stuff before the combine. But I think this is a fun episode. We have three great guests who know Drake May, who know J.J. McCarthy, and who know Jaden Daniels. Again, one of my favorite stories of this draft going. I want to put that on record. Um, so I hope you enjoy this insight. Um, we're going to go in order of interview. So we're going to go um, J.J. McCarthy, 
Drake May, and then Jaden Daniels. Some may tell you that's kind of like the back-to-front view of the draft now with Caleb Williams still number one. Um, depending on how you want to slot them, I'm sure that will vary from team to team, but the insight we have is amazing. I want to thank all three of our guests, but let's begin with J.J. McCarthy, where we bring in the Athletics Michigan writer, Austin Meek. Follow him on Twitter at ByAustinMeek. That's M-E-E-K. He's covered a very interesting season for Michigan that ended with a national championship. Um, He knows Jim Harbaugh well. He knows J.J. McCarthy well. So let's bring in Austin. Austin, the last time that we were together, we were in Indianapolis, sitting next to each other in the press box, first row of the press box of Lucas Oil Stadium. J.J. McCarthy helps lead Michigan to the Big Ten Championship. And then I remember talking to you about, like, well, the next step. He's got the college football playoff and then possibly the national championship. What changed for you when you're looking at McCarthy like after that game that we saw against Iowa? Yeah, well, you definitely did not see J.J. McCarthy at his best in that game, uh, if I recall, or or Michigan's offense as well. Uh, but I think over the course of this season, and really over the course of J.J. McCarthy's career at, at Michigan, we saw him really develop into a quarterback uh, who I think is ready for this step. Uh, a quarterback who, uh, you know, his role at Michigan was different than it would have been at a lot of programs. Uh, and we can we can talk about that, uh, but really he was he was exactly what this Michigan team needed, and I think that that came out in, in the in the Rose Bowl and in the national championship game. Uh, Michigan's offense wasn't necessarily built around him, uh, but he really you know he really had both the physical traits and I think the mindset uh, to come in and and lead a team where the quarterback was not going to be the the focal point of the offense. And he accepted that he, he, um, orchestrated the offense. Uh, he, you know, put Blake Corum and, and Donovan Edwards in, in position to succeed behind that offensive line at Michigan and, and delivered a national championship. And I think, um, even though some Michigan fans were hoping that he would come back for his senior year, I think as soon as Michigan won that national championship, it was, it was pretty clear that his next step was to go on to the NFL. So maybe take us through that role because I don't know if the the draft experts on Twitter are starting to just watch more film on him because I think the NFL has always been pretty high on J.J. McCarthy, but you've watched every snap of his the, the past couple seasons. Like, What was his role um, and him not being the focal point of that offense? Like, How would you interpret that if you're evaluating him for the next level? Well, I think it's a tricky evaluation because whatever team drafts him is is going to ask him to do different things than he did at Michigan. Uh, Michigan's offense really was was built around the running game, built around Blake Corum, uh, built around that offensive line, and and the quarterback uh, was not asked to do everything that quarterbacks are asked to do at the next level. So there there is a, a degree of projecting of. How, how is he going to do these things that he wasn't asked to do at Michigan? I mean, that's the case, I think, for every quarterback coming out, but maybe particularly for J.J. McCarthy just because of of the scheme that he played in and the offense that he played in. So his, his job really was take care of the ball, um, make good decisions, 
when you need to throw it, you know, when you get in third down, uh, be able to make a play. And I think that's one of his real strengths is he was, he was great on third down this year. Uh, some of the off script plays he made when the pocket broke down, some of the things that you, you can't really teach. Uh, he, he was excellent at that. You know, there's some other things, you know, maybe some things that, that other quarterbacks in this class are going to be more polished at that he's going to have to learn on the job. So I'm guessing that evaluators, when they look at him, are, are going to see kind of a mixed bag. But I think what you see is is certainly some glimpses of the ability to, um, when he's asked to do more things than he was asked to do at Michigan, um, the ability to to learn to do those things and eventually do it at a really high level. So so he only has like 713 pass attempts. That is That is low for a two-year starter. It just is. So like you said, it takes some projection, but like, I'm glad you brought up those third down numbers because I have some of them here and, and they are, they're ridiculously good, man. And so they have them broken down. This this page I'm looking at has them broken down by, by distance. So like third down with four to six to go, he is 12 for 18 this year for 118 yards, but it gets better the further the, the Wolverines were back on third and third down seven to nine to go. He was 19 for 27. That's 70% of his passes. That's for 266 yards, two touchdowns, um, 15 first downs. And this is what blows my mind, too. Third down, 10 plus yards. He was 17 for 22. That's (laughs) 77.3 completion percentage for 278 yards, four touchdowns, and, and 12 first downs. So, like those numbers, like you saw it. Take us through, like, those weren't, were they easy throws? Was it all him? I think you mentioned some some improvising he had to do. Like, take us through those third down numbers if you can. Yeah, I mean, in a way, he is at his best, I think, when when he's improvising. Sometimes the, you know, the routine plays were the plays that we saw him struggle with and the plays where he's he's just freelancing uh, and trying to convert a long third down were, were some of the best plays that he made. And so I, probably the hope for whoever drafts him is going to be like, hey, we can we can teach him to get better at some of the routine things. And the things he does that you can't teach, like he's just got that innately. So, I, you know, I just he's a playmaker. That's how I would I would describe him. He's not the most consistent quarterback in the in the class by any stretch, uh, but he can he can make the magic happen. I mean, there's definitely a, a a playground sandlot dimension to his game where, you know, we saw him just scramble around back there, you know, wave at his receivers to go deep and and find a guy downfield. Uh, and there's certainly a risk reward calculation with that. Um, his decision making, I think, has been a been a work in progress throughout his his college career and, and will be at the NFL level as well. But but he, you know, for a guy who certainly makes some um, some risky throws. I think for the most part, he took care of the ball pretty well. Uh, it's just the the stress that he puts on a defense, I think, with his ability to make any throw, with his mobility, his ability to get out of the pocket, the run threat. And then I, I think just the, you know, the courage um, to take the shot. There's there's throws he made that a lot of quarterbacks wouldn't even try to make. Uh but but he'll he'll make that throw and and a lot of times he'll complete that throw and I think that upside is part of what's going to be really uh, really appealing for him at the next level. He's got a couple like ridiculous throws on tape. Everybody remembers the, the Ohio State one. Like mm-hmm. just speaking of pure arm talent, 
What do you make of it? Like, what have you seen in the past couple of years? Yeah, I think he can make every throw. I, I think that's one of the things that's going to separate him is, you know, he can he can throw from one hash mark across the field and, and get it there in a hurry. He can put it in a really tight window, as he showed with that throw against Ohio State. I mean, that was like a six-inch window, and he, he squeezed that ball in there, Roman Wilson. Um, so you see him make every throw, I think, that he'll need to make at the next level. You know, his accuracy on the deep ball, I think, um, can get better. And like I said, sometimes it's it's the routine throws that he'll miss, and you know he can make those throws, and it's a little bit um, a little bit puzzling, maybe why he's not more more consistent with some of those throws. But I think what people will see when they when they watch his film is that um, his, he's got an electric arm. He he can he can make the throws. It's just a matter of maybe some things mechanically um, to sort out footwork, all of that stuff, just to to be more consistent. So when I was doing this this quarterback series, he was like the third quarterback mentioned. Everyone's when I talk to scouts around the league, of course he have to go see Caleb Williams, he have to go see Drake May, and then the third name I got was JJ McCarthy. So like I guess the question I have for you is, does how about this? Does Michigan do what it's done the past couple of years, especially this year, winning the national championship, going undefeated? without J.J. McCarthy. Could they have done that with a different quarterback? Or was he just like the perfect person, quarterback, leader needed for this team? Yeah, I mean, I would go back to when Michigan played Georgia in the in the Orange Bowl after the 2021 season. That was J.J.'s freshman season. And Michigan's starting quarterback was Cade McNamara. And there was a discussion that season when J.J. was a freshman of, do you do you stick with Cade McNamara, who's an older quarterback and a little more polished, or do you just throw the young guy out there and, and let him play? And um, ultimately, that season, JJ was was the backup. He was a situational quarterback. He came in as as a runner at times. Um, but I think after that season, Michigan looked at its team and said, "If we're going to win a national championship, we have to get more dynamic at quarterback, and we have that guy on our roster. It's it's JJ McCarthy." And so Cade McNamara ended up transferring to to Iowa. They had a quarterback competition going into that season that J.J. McCarthy won. And I do think that ultimately the reason Michigan was able to win that national championship was because they had a playmaker at quarterback, even if they didn't ask him to do that every single game. You know, they won that Penn State game, running it 32 times in a row. J.J. McCarthy was was banged up in that game. So he was hurt, right? Like there, was, there was an injury? <laughs> he was, yeah. Okay. yeah. And what exactly the injury was, we never quite found out but but what i heard is he was he was pretty significantly banged up at the end of the season and that did impact his his numbers at the end of the year which weren't as good as his numbers at the beginning um but what michigan really needed i think to be able to to ultimately win the national championship was a quarterback who could make a play when they needed their quarterback to make a play and they didn't need that every game they didn't need that as much as some other teams maybe leaned on their quarterbacks to be playmakers uh, but just having that guy and knowing that he could do it, I think, was the difference for Michigan ultimately to get over the hump and, and win the national championship. You mentioned him being a, a young guy. He was a young guy like throughout his success, especially if you compare him to, to the other quarterbacks or some of the other quarterbacks in this draft class. He was 20, 20 years old. And some mm -hmm. of these other guys were 23, grown adults, <laughs> can, yeah. can legally drink and whatnot. Like, what, what do you make of that like for someone who covers college sports like what do you make of his success being you know under the legal legal drinking age for, for yeah. all of it yeah i mean i think 
his makeup and his uh, mental maturity is probably higher than a lot of other quarterbacks at that age. Uh, I think one thing that's going to come out, every team that talks to him, everybody who gets a chance to sit down with him, he is a really, he's a really mature, mature guy and has a really, I think, mature perspective on, on the game, on his role. You know, Hey, there's a lot of quarterbacks who I think would have, would have, you know, felt like maybe they were being held back in Michigan's offense and would have been like, you know, I can be a, I can be a top 10 pick. I got to go somewhere where I can show that off. Um, but you never got that from, from JJ McCarthy. He, he seemed to understand the big picture of what Michigan was trying to do. He seemed to understand his role. He was in a really tough situation with a, a competition with a veteran quarterback who, you know, frankly, I don't think, you know, felt real happy about the situation of this five-star freshman coming in, trying to take the job. Uh, the team really easily could have been divided by that. And I think a different personality in, in JJ McCarthy's shoes might not have handled that as well as he did. So I think the youth probably shows up in some of the decision-making um, just some of the ways you watch him and, and you see that he's still pretty raw as a player. Uh, but I think in terms of his, his personality and his ability to, uh, to lead a team, even though he is really young, I, I think he's going to check that box for a lot of teams. I think they're going to sit down with him and be like, you know, this guy has, you know, like between the ears he has, he has the right stuff to be able to, um, to be a, a, a an NFL starter as he gets all of the other pieces in place. So those intangibles that you hear about all the time, like to you, they're, they're for real. Like this is, this is part of his, well, his makeup his part of the NFL's evaluation room. like these intangibles will carry over. They, they are for real. Like everything Jim Harbaugh is saying about him, like buy into it because there's some, these are valid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, every, every team is going to weigh that differently and how much value they place on that. How much value do you place on the fact that he was 27 and one as the starter? You know, that's not just the quarterback stat, right? That's, that's the whole team. But I think, you know, there certainly is, some validity to the fact that um, the personality of the quarterback goes a long way in in being able to win over a team and lead a team and and I think JJ McCarthy has those qualities. Um, you know, I, I think he's got a little bit of like the Tom Brady um, mindset. Certainly not that you know, not predicting that he's going to be Tom Brady, uh, but I think he models himself after. Tom Brady in a way, um, you know, he's a, he's a kind of a deep thinker, you know, he, he's pretty insightful about, um, his own approach, you know, takes really, um, really meticulous care of his body and his mind. Um, the kind of things that are gonna, gonna potentially set up a quarterback to have a good career. So, uh, I, I do think that he's got a lot of those, those qualities that when you, when you put it together with the rest of the package, the uh, the arm talent and the athleticism, I think that all of that points to a guy who has a has a really promising future, but also has some things he's he's going to have to really work on. I want to ask you about some of those things he has to work on. Um, but like, as an extension, everything you just said, everything that Jim Harbaugh said about him, this like glowing praise from like the start to to the finish that. Did you ever like roll your eyes at it? Or I know coaches talk up with their players, but like how real was that? It, it felt so heartfelt at times, at least when I'm watching it, 
there at Lucas Oil Stadium. Like it, it felt real to me, at least in that moment. I, I've read a bunch of it. Um, there's so much of it. Like, what's the best way to interpret Jim Harbaugh's well glowing praise of him throughout the two years? Yeah, I think you have to understand the relationship there with Jim Harbaugh and and JJ McCarthy. I mean, the relationship between Jim Harbaugh and his his quarterback is always going to be a a unique relationship. And I think particularly with those two guys, it was a a unique relationship. I think Jim Harbaugh saw a lot of himself in JJ McCarthy. He uh, he compared the two at, at times, you know, talked about how there were things that JJ did on the field that reminded Jim Harbaugh of himself as a player. I think the competitive makeup of JJ McCarthy um, really Jim Harbaugh really connected with that. So yeah, there were times that it, it sometimes felt a little bit over the top. Um, you know, like when Jim Harbaugh is talking about JJ McCarthy as, as the best college quarterback in Michigan history. Um, you know, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Um, I think a lot of that was just Jim Harbaugh you know, pouring confidence into his quarterback and making sure that J.J. McCarthy understood how much Michigan, how much Jim Harbaugh valued the things that he does on the field. So, you know, was was it real? I, I think that it was real in the sense that part of what um, part of what made Jim Harbaugh and, and this Michigan team successful is just that level of belief that they all had in each other. And maybe somebody looking at it from the outside, you know, it, it looks a little weird or, you know, maybe a little bit like embellished. Um, but it's, it's just kind of a matter of perspective, I think. And um, certainly from the perspective of Jim Harbaugh, if, if you asked him, um, he would, he would probably take JJ McCarthy as his quarterback in a heartbeat. He's, he's got a quarterback in uh, Los Angeles. So he's, he's probably not in the market, but if he was in the market, I, I think there would be a, a pretty good chance that JJ McCarthy would be, would be playing for Jim Harbaugh. All right, so let's let's go through these question marks. Like, how, how would you list them? How how would you rank them? Is it the, the the decision making? Is it the lack of pass attempts? Is it not being the focal point? Like, if you had to give me your three most important concerns about him, like, or your three concerns about him, like, what what would they be? Yeah, I think probably the ability to to process the game at a, at a really high level process it quickly um make all the reads you know i i'm not a i'm not a scout so you know I, I, i'm my perspective on this is maybe a little bit limited but i think that probably when he gets to the next level um he's just gonna have to uh it's gonna be a lot more complicated for him than it was at michigan he's gonna have to be able to really read the field read the defense um not rely maybe on his athleticism or his his pure arm talent as much as he did at Michigan. Uh, you know, there's definitely some times that that he maybe would, you know, his first read isn't open, he bails on the pocket, and he's such a good athlete at the college level that he could make a play. Um, I don't know that he'll be able to do that as much in the NFL, so he's probably going to have to, you know, he's as every rookie quarterback has to do, he's, he's going to have to um, – adapt to the speed of the game and, and be able to read all of the complicated stuff that, that he's seeing back there. Uh, so I think it's that, I think it's, it's some mechanics and just making sure like he's, he's always putting himself in position. Um, you know, his eyes, his feet, all of that lined up, um, you know, and, and just like, there's, there's a handful of throws I think 
that when people go back and look at his season, there's a handful of throws you'll look at and you're just kind of like, what, you know, what was he, what was he seeing on that throw? You know, what you see what he's capable of and he plays at such a high level. And then there just will be some plays where um, you can tell that something went, went haywire with the process and you're not exactly sure what it was, but I think his, his coaches are going to figure that out. Um, So all of it to me is, is correctable, but, but it is something that's probably going to take him some time. Would you be surprised if he's a top 10 pick? Um, maybe a little bit, but not, not super surprised. I mean, I, I think, you know, first half of the first round would, would not stun me. Um, I mean, look, quarterbacks, quarterbacks, um, are always going <laughs> to go higher than, than, you know, you, you maybe think they should when you watch, watch them as college players, right? Like, um, and especially, you know, when you watch a guy every single day, every single game, like, um, you know, I, I've seen way more JJ McCarthy than any other college quarterback. So I've seen the good, I've seen the bad. Um, I think, you know, I think there's probably a lot of good that I saw from him that maybe people didn't see if they just watched like the Rose bowl or the big 10 championship game. Um, you know, there's also some, um, some stuff I saw that, um, you know, probably is, is something that's a, a red flag or at least a concern, um, for, for NFL people. But, you know, I, I think the whole picture is a guy who, um, just has such a high ceiling and is so early in, in the development curve compared to some other guys that I would not be surprised at all. If there's a, a team that's like, Hey, this guy's already really good and he's really young. And, and we think that he's got even another level that he's going to get to pretty quickly. And if, if that means he goes in the top half of the first round, I, I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. So at the very least, you see him as a young quarterback, probably the youngest. He is the youngest of, of at least the top five or six. At the very least, worth a first-round pick at some point. I think so. If if a team needs a quarterback of the future and they're willing to be patient with him, I, I think that that could be a really good situation for him. Like If you're thinking he's going to be your day-one starter um, – you know, that's certainly a gamble. I think there are other other quarterbacks in the class who would probably be safer picks to come in and, and start right away. Uh, but if you're looking at him as a guy that you're really drafting for the long term and you feel like you, you've got a good team around him, similar to the way Michigan put a really good team around him, and you're willing to be patient and, and develop him, then, I mean, a quarterback of, of the future, like if you got a chance to draft that guy, then you you draft him. Like, you know, first round, wherever your pick is, if you think he's your quarterback in the future, then you, you take him. And and I won't be surprised if there's a team that looks at J.J. McCarthy and thinks that's what he's going to be. Austin, man, thank you. Great stuff. It's good to see you again. Um, they had to be an awesome run just, just to cover, and Michigan kept you very, very busy for a lot of reasons uh, <laughs> this year. But uh, uh, thank you, my friend. Um, be sure to check out Austin's work on The Athletic. Uh, you can follow him on X at by Austin Meek. That's M-E-E-K. Thank you, man. We'll see where JJ goes. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's keep this going. Our next guest is Brendan Marks. He's the Athletics North Carolina writer. It's more than basketball, too. He's on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. That's R. Marks, M-A-R-K-S. Uh, fantastic stuff on North Carolina's basketball team, but also... Got a fun quarterback to cover the past couple years in Drake May. So let's bring in Brandon Marks from The Athletic. Brandon, I, I have to begin with this because I feel like we just have to get, just get it out of the way. Please tell everybody that's listening or watching us on YouTube right now why Drake May is different than Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear this one a lot, um, especially from from fans of teams that might be drafting Drake and are very afraid of how Mitch Trubisky turned out. I think the biggest thing you got to start with is experience. You know, Drake started almost twice as many games as Mitch did in college. And, you know, really, Mitch was a backup for two years behind Marquise Williams and, and sort of lost the starting job the year before he did ultimately start for North Carolina versus Drake, who came in, was obviously seen as the successor to Sam Howell straight away uh, and, and had time to sit and learn, understanding that he was going to be the likely starter going into the next season. So the experience thing, I think you can't really understate. And, and like the hype started last year, even like like Trubisky was just like one year of hype. Like Drake May going into this last season was considered top five material, maybe top overall pick material. Yeah, it, he was. And honestly, if you go back to high school, I mean, this is a guy who was originally committed to Alabama, right? And so he had that pedigree even going back that far. And, you know, I know we'll talk more about Sam Howell in a bit, but for UNC fans, Sam Howell was like as good as it gets at the quarterback position. And then you have the idea that there's this guy behind him who might be even better. Um, so that hype with Drake, I think he also had to handle it for for not just more than a year, but a couple of years. So, okay. So how is he different than Sam Howell? At one point, Sam Howell led the league in passing yards last year. Well, as an NFL quarterback for the Washington Commanders. And here, Washington again potentially looking at Drake May at number two. So how are they different? Yeah, well, you know, obviously Drake uh, stature wise is much bigger than Sam was much more of a prototypical passer. Um, you know, Sam was maybe generously listed at six foot, uh, six foot one. I mean, I remember talking to uh, UNC's old offensive coordinator, Phil Longo in his office and, you know, he's saying he hears all these Drew Brees comparisons, Baker Mayfield comparisons, because that's the size Sam was. Um I think the other thing with Sam was he came in and was coming into such a bad situation. You know, Mac Brown had just been hired again. The roster was basically completely void. I mean, the year before North Carolina was starting a guy, Chaz Surratt, who's been playing linebacker in the NFL. Uh, they were starting him at quarterback. So Sam came into a completely empty cupboard and has to do a little bit more of everything. Drake did at least have some infrastructure around him when he took over the starting spot. Um, obviously had Josh Jones, who's now doing killing it with the Indianapolis Colts. So, Drake, I came think came into a better situation and was better poised to take advantage of it. I know you haven't seen like every game or every snap of Drake May. There's, you have other things to cover in, in North Carolina, including a, a basketball team that seems to be good every single year. But like, 
how would you sum up the experience in terms of here's this prospect again committed to Alabama? Like, were expectations expectations met? Uh, did did he fail in a certain capacity? Like, how would you sum it up for us? Yeah, you know, I, I think probably unfairly to Drake, his tenure in Chapel Hill is going to be considered as a bit of an under an underwhelming experience. Um, essentially, you've got a guy who could be the number one pick in the draft, and two years in a row when he was the starter, the team fell apart down the stretch. You know, his first season as a starter, UNC starts nine and one, finishes four and zero. Oh, you know, loses every game of consequence down the stretch. Last year, starts six and zero. Oh, finished two and five, only beat one FBS team over the last month and a half of the season. And a lot of that is because he he had to be Superman. I mean, North Carolina's defense has been one of the worst in the country the past couple of years running. Um, running game, hit or miss. Uh, this year it was obviously much better with Amari and Hampton. But he really had to kind of do everything for North Carolina to even have a chance in these games. It's how you see these stat lines where he's got 40, 50 passing attempts. Um, but the fact that North Carolina could not win more with a guy who was this good. Um, I think, you know, probably unfairly, it's going to taint the way that people in Chapel Hill remember him. It's, it's kind of like a what if back to back with Sam Howell and Drake may you have two, you know, starting caliber NFL quarterbacks and you don't really accomplish anything of note. So it's a, it's a tough balance for North Carolina because I think they realize how good Drake is, but they're not going to see the best of him in a UNC uniform. I, I got a what if for you. And, and I love that show. I don't know if you're a fan of, of Marvel, but I, I like yeah. the show they have. Um, so here's a what if for for you. What if Drake May stayed at Alabama? Like, are, are we talking about him being QB one over Caleb Williams? Maybe at this point, I know it's it's a maybe a crazy hypothetical. It, it is a what if, but just given where he is right now, I mean, what if he stayed at Alabama? Like, what do you think we'd be talking about right now? Yeah, well, you know, for starters, I think you would have been talking about Alabama potentially last season having, you know, in 2022, maybe having back-to-back Heisman winners. I mean, I think that would have been a realistic expectation for Drake coming in and having, you know, the skill talent that Alabama does, especially having the offensive line that Drake does, uh, that Alabama does. Drake is working behind an offensive line that, you know, no no disrespect to what they're doing at UNC, but uh, patchy or leaky might be a little bit of a generous interpretation. And that's not going to, that wouldn't have been the case at Alabama. He wouldn't have had to score 40 points a game to just keep his team in games like he had to do at North Carolina. So, I do think you're probably talking about it. Like, I wonder if he, I don't know that he would have surpassed Caleb. I think that certainly it would be much more of a pick your poison kind of conversation versus now the national landscape, it seems at least somewhat established with Caleb as the unquestionable number one guy. I think that if you put a little more around Drake, he would have had, you know, probably even better production than he already did. And he was a Heisman finalist in the first place. So, um, it's tough to say. The other, you know, it could be the flip side of things too, where if he's asked to do less, maybe he doesn't have to do as much. Maybe he doesn't have the gaudy stats. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, the last time, like we, we talked a bunch about Drake May, like I was going down to, to Chapel Hill myself to go see him play Duke, which had, well, at that time in the season, one of the better defenses in the league. The Drake May hype was just starting to get to really get going. I thought this year, um, and then I covered a game where. God, it was a double overtime or triple overtime. I, I forget direct, like, but but it was an amazing game where he had to kept coming back and coming back. He had a sc- scramble, or was it a design run? He, either way, like he's running the ball, he's getting tackled, and he pitches it back to a guy for more yardage. He keeps firing away down the field, long completion after long completion. Like 
I was impressed leaving that game and talking to, to people who worked for North Glenn at the time. Like that press box was filled with more NFL scouts and executives at that point in the season, like than ever. Like they've never experienced anything like that. So, what strikes you about his on field talent, his potential? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things you're hitting at there is like that, that never say die mentality. North Carolina is a team that should not have been in half of the games that it was in the last two seasons with Drake May as the starting quarterback. And strictly because of him, it's one of those things where you never believe you're fully out of the game because he always seems to have some sort of hero play. And, you know, to go back to the differences between him and Mitch Trubisky, you know, Drake is so much more of an athlete, so much more of a weapon as a runner. I mean, North Carolina really utilized him in some RPO games. They really utilized him, like you're talking about, on, on designed quarterback runs. And then the scrambling ability, like when you needed a play, there was always this sense that Drake May was going to get it, no matter if, you know, kind of like Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, like didn't matter if he just had to keep it himself, he was willing to do that. Um, in terms of like his passing talent, like, his ability to see the entire field, I think, you know, especially for, for North Carolina fans who haven't seen that kind of quarterback play was pretty exceptional. Um, you know, Sam Howell's a guy who really got a lot of credit for his deep balls and his touchdown there. Drake's ability to layer it at any level, um, really, really special, special talent. I, I was impressed by how he, well, he's tall, he's lean, but he's faster than he, than he looks. And he, he gains yardage faster than you think he is before you know it. He has a first down. I think it was Dane Brugler had the stat just in terms of like third and fourth down runs that of all the top quarterbacks, like he leads them in that category just in terms of converting first down. So like that stood out to me just in terms of like an athlete. I think what you said is pretty notable because Mitch, when he got to the NFL, like his legs were an asset, but you're seeing a lot more of that from May almost instantly, you know, as a college quarterback. Right. And comparatively, you know, Sam, the, North Carolina used Sam Howell somewhat similarly his last season as a starter after Javante Williams and some of those guys had gone off to the NFL. Um, but with Drake, the frame, you're so much less worried about the injury risk. Like for Sam being six foot, it was kind of like, oh boy, like can he, you know, and Sam Howell takes a lot of sacks as is. It was like, can he continue to take those hits? But Drake will stick his nose in there and that, like you said, he is, he is faster. He's bigger than you would think that he would be. Um, you know, I know we get a lot of Justin Herbert comparisons and we'll get into that, but he, he really is a, a sneaky, sneaky, good athlete, not to rely on those buzzwords or whatever. <laughs> For someone who is entrenched in, well, in, in Chapel Hill there, like, can you detail like how his, like his family ties, his brother, who was an important part of a very good basketball team there in North Carolina. Like, I, I think this is a positive for a lot of NFL teams that he has this type of, well, athletic pedigree that is obviously generational, but is grown up in a, an extremely competitive family. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, going back to his dad, even, you know, Mark, his dad played quarterback at North Carolina in the eighties. Um, you know, that family legacy that Mark started has paid dividends. So, you know, you had Mark starting off the gun. Then Luke May, as you mentioned, came in, played basketball in North Carolina, was a preferred walk-on, but ended up hitting one of the greatest shots in UNC basketball history in 2017 to beat Kentucky. UNC goes on to win the national title. Luke becomes an All-American the next couple of seasons. Um, their other brother, Cole, won a baseball national championship at Florida. You know, their other brother, Bo, played basketball for North Carolina last year. So, like the athletic bloodlines run deep. And, you know, that is ultimately the reason why he decided to pull back on the Alabama commitment. It was because the family did have this, this sense of loyalty and the sense of duty. And they're a great family. I mean, and, and 
spending time with Luke and spending time with Mark, they are terrific people. And I certainly think that's a bonus if you're scouting him to be the face of your franchise. Yeah, this is where the intangibles come in, right? This is where you're looking at leadership, competitiveness, hard work, all those things that are examined thoroughly by NFL teams. Like, I feel like you don't hear a lot about like Drake May's intangibles, like especially compared to like J.J. McCarthy, where that's like the first thing scouts will bring up. What do you see in, in Drake May for someone who's been around him more than some of us and, and has talked to his teammates? Like, what do you hear about Drake May? What do you feel about Drake May? Yeah, you know, I, I think this is where his time under Sam Howell really comes and, and plays dividends. So he has the family background where they understand competitiveness. They understand the spotlight. They understand how you have to behave when you are in those situations. And then being behind Sam Howell, who is definitely not a rah-rah guy, kind of just very workmanlike. You never get too high. You never get too low. Um, you know, I think a lot of that really stuck with Drake. And, you know, even when Sam would come back in the summer after he had been drafted to the NFL, like the work that those two are doing together, it's on making sure that, okay, even when things go wrong, how are you going to handle all those situations? So I think just like steadiness, composure, he's not, you know, a, he's a, he's a yes, sir guy. Um, you know, very good country boy in that sense. Um, but you don't really hear a lot about any of this off the field stuff. He's had a long-term, you know, girlfriend, like he's just a very about football kind of guy. Um, I mean, it is like his passion, you know, like Sam Howell used to joke that his date on Valentine's day every year was Madden. Like you could say the same sort of thing about Drake. Like they just love football. They've sort of been bred to play football. Um, and obviously he, he responded when he got his opportunities. What are your concerns? Like, like how would you just describe, because again, going back to this conversation, I think there's a lot of reasons why Caleb Williams is QB one. And I think some teams, some pundits, some analysts, those who watch Drake May closely have some concerns. Like for someone who has watched him closely and covered some of his games, like where would you rate your concerns with his potential for the NFL? Yeah, I, I think I go back to that never say die mindset. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, you know, with Howell, it was never say die. So I'm going to hold on to the ball as long as possible. Ends up taking a lot of sacks. Drake sometimes trusts himself too much to go and make some of those hero plays. He'll throw it into traffic. He'll throw it into a tough situation. Um, he'll do things off platform that, you know, maybe you, you shouldn't do. Um, things that Caleb is probably a little bit better at. So I think that's a number one concern. And then just continuing to be able to, to read and survey the whole field. Like, you know, you saw Drake's game hit a different level this year when uh, Tez Walker, who's, you know, another top 100 maybe draft prospect, was able to come back and was finally eligible. You'd be interested to see, like, okay, if he goes to a team that maybe doesn't have the weapons, how capable of he is, is he of elevating them versus just taking advantage of the guys he had? When he had Josh Downs and he could just feed Josh Downs, he knew he had an NFL guy, um, was a lot more seamless than, as we saw this season, sometimes, you know, you're looking for your tight ends, you're trying to make things happen. That's when those mistakes would come. So, I would say those are they're two of the bigger concerns. But again, like he, the guy's started a lot of games and, and you've you've got a pretty pretty good body of work on who he is already. So after that Duke game, which again, which was a win for May in North Carolina, I thought he was exceptional in it. Like Mac Brown gets it up to that podium, that lectern, and basically calls him the best quarterback in the country. And, and I know I'm not going to ask you to interpret that. You know, coaches do that. It's not like Jim Harbaugh, who you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I think has adopted JJ McCarthy by this this point. But like, like beyond Mac Brown, what type of buzz did you get from the coaches? Because I'm curious about it, just because there's some NFL experience around. Well, Drake May in Freddie Kitchens. There's Clyde Christensen, who was Tom Brady's QB coach. Like, 
what type of influences do you think they've had on what type of player Drake May can be? Yeah, again, as somebody who wasn't there, even as somebody who wasn't there in the building every single day, you heard a lot about how Christensen helped Drake May. And again, continuing to talk about that approach, the way to handle things, um, especially as North Carolina season went on, the defense slipped a lot. It became more apparent, like, okay, we're going to need a little bit more of Superman Drake. Um, his approach never really changed. And I think a lot of the the credit, the credit for his preparation goes to Christensen and the way they work together. Um, but again, like I was talking about, like, I think probably nationally he has only the buzz is still starting to pick up, but like locally, this is something where fans have been waiting for him for years. Like the Alabama, you hear Alabama commit and you start to get excited, but like, you know, even, even talking to, you know, the offensive coordinator who recruited him at North Carolina, Phil Longo, like Longo had a guy in Sam Howe who he thought was an NFL quarterback. And yet you'd walk out of every conversation with him in his office and he's going, but wait till the next one. Um, so there was this, always this sense that, I'll give you a great example. There was talk when Drake May first got to college about how at Clemson, Taj Boyd was sort of Sam Howell. He was the guy who returned the program to national relevance, but it was going to be the guy after him who actually took the program to the heights that it was capable of. There was a similar sentiment in North Carolina that Sam Howell's the guy who's going to put North Carolina back on the level of respectability, but Drake May is going to be able to elevate even beyond that. Um, and again, the wins didn't follow, you know, how complete the team was around him. I don't know what you would say. Um, but in terms of him elevating his play and single-handedly being able to win games, like you're talking about that Duke one, he showed why he was able to do that. All right. Last question. Dane Brugler has compared him to Justin Herbert. I feel like a lot of analysts have, I'm sure some teams have too. What do you make of it? Is, is it just more than the body type, I guess, because you're talking about six foot five, six foot six guys who are tall, lean, and they, they look the, the the part just in terms of the, the physical makeup, what you want in terms of size and whatnot. Like, what do you think of it? What do you make of that comparison? Yeah, I, I think Drake is probably, I would say, a little more athletic. I think that Drake can be more of a, a weapon as a runner. I mean, obviously, you don't want to expose your franchise quarterback and, and make him susceptible to injury. But I do think in terms of especially some of that short yardage stuff, like he can be really effective there. Um, I don't know that he has quite the arm strength that Justin Herbert does. Um, you know, Herbert can really yak that thing. Rip uh, <laughs> I don't know that Drake is quite to that level, um, but certainly what you're talking about in terms of the stature, in terms of the processing ability, um, in terms of the ability to manipulate a game. And again, that sentiment that like, as long as I've got this guy, I have an opportunity to win, you know, like give this guy back the ball with two minutes and see what he can do. I think they do share that, that, you know, style of play. So there are small differences that I would say between them, but I understand why so many people are, including Dane, obviously are high on that comparison. Would you be shocked if he, like at this point, would you be shocked if he's the first pick? I would be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I, I, I will say this. I think there's still upside here. Like the guy has started two full seasons. He started whatever, 26 games or so. But I do still think there's more upside just because we haven't really seen what he can do with NFL talent around him. Like when he had one NFL guy in Josh Downs, he was spamming him. Josh Downs put up career record numbers for UNC receivers all time. Drake looked like a Heisman finalist. That was with one NFL guy. I'm fascinated to see if you put him in a situation like in a Chicago or even in a Washington where you do have legitimate weapons, like how good could this guy be? Um, I think that there's still an opportunity that he, we haven't seen the best from Drake May, um, which is obviously what you want if you're drafting a guy. He's still relatively young. 
I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think that he's going to make as many wow plays as Caleb is. Um, but if you're looking for somebody who has the potential to be like a, a real legitimate franchise quarterback and take advantage and, and you're going to be in every game, I could see why that would be convincing as a number one pick. Brennan, thank you so much. Awesome stuff. Good to see you. Good to hear from you again. Uh, be sure to follow Brendan at Brendan R. Marks, M-A-R-K-S. He is our North Carolina writer for The Athletic. Man, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And last but not least, we have David Ubbin, a friend of the show. He's been on it a few times. Um, he is a college writer for The Athletic who, let's just say, he specializes in covering the SEC. He knows that conference through and through. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at David Ubbin, U-B-B-E-N. He's been on here before. You've heard his SEC insight before. Um, bring David in. David Let's start with this. I love like the Jaden Daniels story. I love when quarterbacks in particular kind of like emerge in their final collegiate season and become like, oh, this guy's damn good. He, he could be a top five pick. Like, like what, what, what have you missed the past few years? Uh, what clicked for him this year? Um, what do you make of his story at LSU? You know, his rise to Heisman Trophy winner. And now he's like in the conversation as maybe the second, third overall pick in this draft. Yeah, I think for college football folks, he didn't necessarily come out of nowhere. He he popped on when he was a freshman um, at Arizona State. Huge playmaker, playing for current ESPN analyst slash NCAA rule breaker, uh, Herm <laughs> Edwards. There's a lot there's of a Jets coach rules. in there. Slash former Jets coach in yeah, there, too. <laughs> there's a lot of NCAA rules that are bad. Uh, don't bring players and their families on campus during a pandemic might be the only good NCAA rule. But anyway, um, so that's neither here nor there. He burst on the scene at Arizona State. He's this huge playmaker, and he just never really got better. And so people were kind of like, well, what's going on here? Uh, his his uh, his um, targets got worse. You know, he had worse people around him. But when he went in the transfer portal, you know, he was one of the best quarterbacks on the market because people still remembered, oh, this guy can really run. Remained to be seen exactly what he was as a passer, but but certainly was a guy that was dangerous and could make some plays for you. And so he goes to LSU, starts working with, with Joe Sloan and their offensive staff, uh, Mike Denbrock, uh, and they're under, under Brian Kelly. And if you go back and watch the Florida State game, his first game as LSU, it was a disaster. It was like one read, and if he didn't see it, he was tucking and running. The game was ugly. It was terrible. But over the course of that season, you watched him grow up, start to really grasp that offense, get a lot more confidence in his receivers around him, playing with Kayshawn Booty, playing with Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, some really good players around him. Start to grasp that offense, gain some trust in his receivers. By the end of the season, he was a totally different player. He probably grew up more from the start of the 23 season to the end of the 23 season, as much as just about anybody in the country. 
So he came into this year, and you know, there's all these high hopes on him. They get popped by Florida State in the rematch. They lose a couple games early. LSU had some national championship hype to start the season. They go off the radar, but he kept putting up these, keeps putting up these numbers, and you saw him continue a lot of that growth, continue to get better, develop as a passer. He got a lot more accurate. He understood when to use his legs and uh, and and uh, you know when to use them to extend plays versus making plays, which I think a lot of guys in the college game don't really grasp. But the development that he made from the time he got to LSU to now the time that he's left, you know, really made him into a, a, a viable NFL prospect. And I, I think he's a wild card in terms of the next next step. I could see it going a number of ways. You know, was the was he the product of a really good offensive system and a lot of really good talent around him? There's certainly that certainly helps, but his accuracy, his decision making from that guy late in his career at Arizona State and early in his career at LSU to the guy that we watched, you know, win the Heisman Trophy over the back half of the 2023 season, not the same player. So I'm really intrigued by him. He's probably the most interesting NFL prospect out of the quarterback group for me. Why is that? Like, why would you, I guess, use that description? Like, the most interesting, especially when you compare him to Caleb Williams, Drake Mm -hmm. May, and J.J. McCarthy, who are also in discussion for the top 10 in terms of draft picks. I think Top because kind of kind of similar to Joe Burrow in some ways, like he has some bad tape out there. You know, I think you'd have to look early in LSU. You'd have to look early in Arizona, or you know, at any point late in the Arizona State tenure, where it's like this guy is not an NFL player. But then you look late in the season, he's dropping these balls in crazy spots. He's outrunning everybody. Um, you know, if you use him in the right way, I think for me, what makes him interesting is a huge range of outcomes. Like if he walked in there. And he's, you know, one of the 10 best quarterbacks, you know, in the NFL next year. I can't say that it would, like, knock my socks off. And if he came out there and it looks like this, you know, he starts four games next year and this guy is not an NFL quarterback, I can't say that would shock me either. I think he has by far the widest range of outcomes um, for me from this group of, of, you know, these top-tier quarterbacks, his top five quarterbacks. He had more touchdown passes this year for LSU than he did over three seasons at Arizona mm-hmm. State. Like, I'm just curious, like, the, these transfer Porter rules is, <laughs> is like, you know, the, these quarterbacks go from team to team and they find success elsewhere because there's other examples. Yeah, How is that viewed at, at the college level? And then, I don't know, like, how should we view it? Like, his story is different than J.J. McCarthy's all three years at Michigan. It's different than Drake Mays, just stayed at North Carolina. Like, Caleb Williams, I, there's some similarity there, but Caleb Williams left after one year at Oklahoma. Like, how would you evaluate that, like, for someone who, who followed SEC football so closely? Every player's story and their reasons for going in the portal and what they're looking for is different, right? J.J. McCarthy... You know, I think they they asked him to do a lot of the same things as Andrew, as Andrew Luck. Obviously, not comparing the two, but like he had a pretty straightforward college career. Caleb Williams is sort of interesting, and in that he left Oklahoma to go to the same thing that he was used to with Lincoln Riley at USC. Didn't have to learn a new offense. Didn't have to learn a new coaching staff. Just sort of like, hey guys, get on my back, follow me. The offenses that they were asking Jay Daniels to run at Arizona State, which was kind of a mixture of much stuff, some NFL concepts in there. Some college concepts. It was a little messy. To Mike Denbrock's system, you know, at at uh, you know whether he had brought over from Notre Dame. I mean, it was very very different. As was the talent around him. So, 
you know, you, you knew that this guy had a lot of potential. And I think that there was a lot of hope for him when he left Arizona State of like, that was kind of a messy staff. <laughs> they, you know, they, they were better than people thought. It wasn't the disaster immediately that a lot of people in college expected. You know, I still go back to Herm Edwards, you know, debut press conference. If you haven't watched that video, you should. It's very entertaining. But people are like, this is going to be a nightmare. It didn't go as badly as people thought. It ended about as badly as people thought. But he went to a much better situation. They win the SEC West. He beats Bama. That was one of the breakthrough moments for him in year one, was just making a ton of plays against a really good Alabama defense to win the SEC West. Um, But... I think, as you've seen, I think some of those some of the hits ha- are going viral among the draft Twitter folks. But the dude is a little reckless, not with the ball, but with his body. And you know, he got banged up a little bit. He stayed healthier this year than he did, uh, you know, in, in previous years. But he's not afraid to take a hit, which I think can earn you some respect in your locker room. But I think the coaches would rather have you get down. I think you'll have to probably learn that in the pros that, hey, you took a ton of huge hits in college and the guys only hit harder and they're bigger in the NFL. So that'll be there. But, you know, the portal, I think it's it went from being a a small part of the game to an integral part of roster building that I don't think players are looked at very differently for going in the portal. I think you just have to look at every guy's situation. Where'd you come from? Why'd you go in there? And what happened after, and, and every, you know, it's a bit like a snowflake, right? Every every situation is unique. I had uh, a few of the things you just said there, like in my notes, like his win over Alabama and beating Bryce Young, who was eventually mm-hmm. the, the first overall pick. Like, what is that kind of, is it someone who covers the SEC, like what does that like mean when another team beats Alabama? Or I know George is different too now, but like, like... How much weight does that carry, you think, when teams see that, when NFL teams start to, to look at that tape? I think a decent amount. I think it was more impressive to me. Brian Kelly walks in there in year one. They lose an All-American at their offensive, or their defensive tackle position, Mason Smith, like a quarter into the season. You're rebooting at LSU after sort of the end of the Coach O era. You go in there and you win the SEC West in year one. It wasn't so much just beating Alabama beating Alabama with the SEC West on the line, like winner take all, basically. That, I think, is what really means something, that you can carry a team. And I think he really did carry them to an SEC West title in year one under a new coaching staff. When you go in there, and people, LSU was a big wild card going into 2023 because they, they had won you know six or seven games under Coach O, but people knew that team was more talented. Nobody's really sure what to expect. Um, so for them to come in and win the West, I think spoke to all the elements of the team and overcoming that loss of Mason Smith and on all of that. So it meant something, but I think in that particular instance, it wasn't just that they beat Bama. It's that Bama was playing for everything and LSU denied them that. And that is, um, that is pretty impressive. You don't see that happen very often. And then you mentioned like some of the hits that he's taken. Like I- I've seen some of those. They are, <laughs> it's, not, it's not great. Not good. <laughs> it's not good. Like he yeah. gets hit. It looks like it, I I felt hurt watching those to see him thrown around like that, and uh, like I I had this thought like if you're concerned about like JJ McCarthy's frame like size and frame like if you're telling JJ McCarthy to go gain weight like if you look at Jaden Daniels well you should eat some pasta and some steak more too <laughs> like I, I I get that sense too like I don't know like he, he's so good as a runner. 
how concerned are you about his frame when you see some of those hits, you know, at the next level? I know I'm ask, asking you to kind of repeat a few things, but just in contrast with McCarthy, yeah. it seems like a concern for McCarthy. seems like it would be a concern for Jaden Daniels as well. Well, I'd have to go look at the numbers, and sometimes the pads can deceive you, but I feel pretty confident that he gained some weight from early in his career to Arizona State until now even. Um, but some of those runs that he had this year, you know, I think what he, uh, I want to say against uh, maybe it was Ole Miss. I forget who it was. He had like a 77 yard run where he just like wasn't touched. Uh, maybe that was Bama this year. I can't recall. But <clears throat> that ability is pretty special. A game breaking runner ability. And, and we saw more of that, I think, this year um, than even we did, you know, in his first year where he was maybe running it a little too much in situations he probably shouldn't. But as he grew as a passer and teams recognized, oh, like, this is a problem. You know, those those running lanes opened up a little bit for him. But I think when you are, have that ability to, 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 to make those runs that, that can break open a game, I think once you get to the second level of defense, you're always looking for that. You're not looking to move the chains. I think, you know, you look at Pat Mahomes. Once he gets past the chains, unless he sees wide open field, like, once he's past the chains, he's getting down. Daniels, when he got past the chains, he's like, how do I get to the end zone every single time? And there's a price that you pay with that. And I think he paid a lot of those last year. And some guys learn that at the next level, and some guys are RG3. And it just it happens. And, you know, you 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 um it takes a while for some of these guys, and and sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. I'm not sure. I don't think he has, you know, a bullheadedness to him that he's just always going to take these hits when he doesn't have the frame of a Josh Allen. But, you know, we'll see. I think sometimes you say that and you know what you're supposed to do, but then the game goes and you're live and you're like, no, I'm taking this to the house. And yeah. and then they're taking you to the sideline in the injury tent. So we'll see. And to his credit, he got up. He played. Yeah. He, he, he's, he, he looks tough. He plays tough. I mean, he's... Yeah, I don't think anybody will ever question Jay Daniels' toughness, for sure. Standing in the pocket, taking hits as well, and delivering the ball. Yeah. He did that a lot more this year than we had seen him at any point in his career, especially for a guy that, that we'd seen play a lot of football before this season. Yeah, to me, that's a huge positive. Um, Another one, like if I'm looking at his tape and going through certain numbers, he was an awesome, elite, deep ball passer in 2023. Just a, a, explosive. He's got touch there. Um, I'm sure some some critics will say he had some special weapons. Again, he might have a teammate who's drafted in the top six or seven picks, you know, with him. But what do you make of that success? Like his ability, like you said, to stand in the pocket and deliver those deep balls with accuracy, touch, in stride, and really take that LSU offense to another level. Like, what do you make of all that success down the field? I think it's two things. I think one, it's growing up. And understanding a lot of the offense that he was in, I think it's just doing work, getting better at his accuracy, trusting those guys. Hey, you know, if he's got a step, he's open, and I'm going to put it in there. And I think you didn't see that a lot. You didn't see it a ton at Arizona State. You didn't see it a ton early on in year one at LSU. But last year, I mean, he was a new player. Uh, he, like I said, I, I think he just... He progressed and improved probably more over the last two seasons, especially considering how much he had played. We don't see a ton of that in college. After a couple years, you kind of are who you are. Some guys make a, a little bit of a leap, but to, to go into a different stratosphere, we don't see that very often. But we did from him. 
It, it really is crazy. I, I think for people, you know, if you go watch the film from him over the last six weeks of this year, and you go back and watch that Florida State game to start 2023, I think people's heads would explode. <laughs> it's just not even the same guy. What do you make of his decision not to to take part in the Senior Bowl? Because correct me if I'm wrong, he was invited, right? I thought he was on one of the rosters, and then you know by the end of it, he didn't attend. What, what do you make of all that? I think again, it's it's sort of an individual decision. Some of these, you know, you, you never really know. They they probably have their reasons, and they're rarely going to hear the real reasons. You know, maybe he was you know banged up a little bit or didn't feel comfortable or trying to heal from some of the hits that he took this year. You know, I know he's playing through a bunch of stuff, and and they're always really dodgy about that. But you didn't have to watch much LSU to know, like, you know, like a lot of people, he wasn't fully healthy at the end of the year. And, you know, there might have been an element of that. I don't really know. I can't. I don't have a ton of insight into that particular decision. Um, but I think that stuff, I, I think especially for quarterbacks, it's a little overrated. I think for linemen, watching them in one-on-ones against other elite guys can be really telling. But the quarterbacks, I mean, listen, your film is your film. And I don't know how much that's going to change at the Senior Bowl. Maybe you learn a little bit about how much a guy can process or how much he can drop back, or all these you know, little things that will be ch- different in the NFL versus college. But, you know, I, I think for him, you know, he's got so much film out there that I don't know how much the Senior Bowl may have mattered, yeah, good and, or bad. And I'm guessing those interviews that you get down in Mobile, I mean, he's going to go through a bunch of them. Not, not only in, in the Annapolis, the Combine, but there's going to be all sorts of private workouts, all sorts of dinners with – coaching staffs and GMs out there. You know, this this draft process is uh, can be extremely lo- elongated. And like you said, he's got five years worth of film. It's a lot of tape to get through. And I do think the one thing that really does work for him, even though he's had a very unique college career and has had a variety of outcomes, is I am a believer in that the biggest correlation in, in success from college to NFL is career starts. The dude has seen a lot of football. He's seen a lot of fronts. He's seen a lot of secondaries. He's played in a lot of different systems. Well, I say a lot of different systems. He's played in two systems. But you've seen a lot of defenses. He played in the Pac-12. Played in the SEC. You're going to see a lot of different players, a lot of different systems. And I think playing that much football, continuing to grow, probably does set a a, a favorable trend line for his future in the NFL. Would you be surprised if he's the second overall pick? Yeah, because I'm not sure he has the upside or the um, like prototypical, uh, you know, what you want of Caleb and Drake. Like, I, I'm not all in on either of those guys. Like, oh, these are guaranteed, like, franchise guys. I think there's only been a handful of those guys. And I thought Bryce Young was that guy last year. We'll see. Time will tell. He did go to a terrible situation, but we'll yeah. see. But ultimately, if you're going to spend a pick that high, You'd want a guy to be a prototype. Drake and Caleb are those prototypes. Jaden is not. So, you know, he didn't do, he didn't have the same type of tape that Bryce Young had to make him the number one pick, but we'll, we'll see. I would be very, very surprised. Last one for you. If maybe I just have what Ryan Poles has said in the past, where he's going to the combine to figure out the person. I think that was, well, with the first pick, obviously everyone's looking at Caleb Williams. He's trying to figure out who Caleb Williams is. Like, what do you know about? Jaden Daniels, in terms of leadership, intangibles, presence, his ability to not only take over an offense, but take over a team. I think I would say you don't hear from everybody, oh, you know, this guy is going to walk in and command an NFL locker room. But I didn't hear any red flags, um, you know, from the Arizona State side of things or the, um, you know, the LSU side of things. You know, the video of, um, 
the uh, the locker room after Arizona State when he left. That's like the only real negative, and and some of that's probably sour grapes. Um, I think seeing how things played out in the years after, and knowing the situation that he left, I don't think you can really blame him necessarily. But there's always going to be hurt feelings when you have a starting quarterback leave. That's been the only thing that that I think might raise some eyebrows, but I don't think it's necessarily a negative on him. Um, but um, I, I think you don't hear a lot of red flags, but you don't hear like, you know, this guy is, you know, the quintessential field general, you know, all the guys in line. I, I think he he did what was asked of him um, and, and didn't raise any concerns in terms of his leadership or intangibles and. You didn't hear a lot of like, ah, you know, I don't know about that guy, which you do hear a lot. You know, you, you, you talk to people around college sports. Certainly you hear whispers about guys. You didn't hear any of that with Jaden. Yeah. Yeah. So like <laughs> there's this like growing buzz. Like he could be like, I, I feel like his, his draft stock has improved considerably since like the end of the season and the more the pundits or, or what have you, you know, dig into the film, you know, there's more highlights showing up on Twitter and, and whatnot. Like, are are you surprised by that? Like that he's in conversation for the second pick or, or is there a sense of surprise that he is going to be a top five pick by the end of the day? No, I mean, production talks. I, I think he doesn't have a lot of obvious negatives from the NFL perspective. And so when you have the kind of production that he did, both as a passer and a runner, you have the growth. You win the Heisman. You do everything that could be asked of you despite playing in a situation last year where the defense fell apart, the defensive coordinator gets fired. You didn't see a lot of bad body language from him. I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, putting up those numbers in the SEC, even though the SEC's identity has changed in some ways, is always going to going to uh, to to gain some attention. So I can't say I'm super, super surprised. Well, David, thanks as always. We, we always love having you on the show. I feel like this is like your third or fourth visit with us. I think so. Um, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We have to start sending you checks, right? Kent, something like that. But, <laughs> but thank you as always. Um, read David's stuff on The Athletic. Follow him on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at David Ubben. That's U-B-B-E-N. Thanks as always, my friend. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank All you. right. That wraps up this episode. It was a long one. Um, if you watched on YouTube, you saw my a uniform change. Um, it, it just, I want to give a special thanks to Austin, Brendan, and David. Just thank you for your insight. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's going to be interesting to see what the Bears do. They have the first pick, the ninth pick. The draft starts with them. I'm sure we'll have a lot more coverage. You know, we'll have a lot more coverage in the following weeks. We'll be down in Indianapolis, but take this one with you. Um, the insight here, I think, will. Will be a little bit evergreen. It, it will go into the draft itself. Um, again, special thanks to Austin, Brendan, and David. But that'll do it for this episode. Um, follow us on Twitter at Adam Johns. We have our Hogan Johns account at Hogan Johns. Um, go to HoganJohns.com for our merchandise from Obvious Shirts. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. You know the deal. Um, go to see Hogue stuff on allchgo.com. We got some fantastic stuff. Coming from Indianapolis next week on theathletic.com. But that's it. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll be back next week. See ya. Hogue, 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 Hogue,